introduction into 1 Corinthians, okay? So I told you we're going to start a series that actually we will, next week will be Mother's Day. We will skip this. I'll be gone the following Sunday. Uh, Pastor Aaron will be preaching that week. And when I come back, we'll pick up here and we'll get right into the book of 1 Corinthians. So this morning is, is the way of introduction. It's continuation from last week where we, we had the introduction. We looked at the life of Paul and we, we, we walked through Paul's conversion. So this morning we're going to be looking at this, uh, part two of the introduction from menace. I would title this this, From Menace to Missionary. And if I was going to extend it, I could go from menace to missionary to, mar- uh, to, uh, to mentor to martyr. I mean, that really could be where we would go with, with the life as we look at Paul, who wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. And we'll look at a little bit of Sosthenes this morning. So as we walked last week looking at Paul's salvation, his conversion there on the road to Damascus, uh, we're going to pick up right there, and we're going to continue on and look at the life of Paul and try to get a timeline. We're going to look at some different things that will give us a timeline maybe, maybe, maybe not so much with dates, but just an order of Paul's life. Let me ask you this. How many of you, <clears throat> if I gave you a test, could really map out Paul's life? you got a really good idea of Paul's life. Raise your hand if you have a really good idea of Paul's life. Okay. Thank you. I'm, that You confirm for me. I know Raymond could probably put it, answer a lot of that stuff, but the thing is... We, we hear about Paul all the time. Why wouldn't we? He wrote most of the, Old, uh, the New Testament. So he wrote all these letters. He's so influential and so much of went on. We talk about him being the greatest Christian. But, but oftentimes we don't have an idea of what he actually did. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, okay? So I want to calm down a little bit. So we're going to pray. I'm going to try not to talk 90 miles an hour. Let's pray. Father... What a, what a great morning. I don't know if everyone feels that way or sees that the way I see it, Lord, but this morning a classroom full of folks who are interested in joining our church. That thrills my heart. Last Sunday morning, Daniel Toth comes down here and, and prays to receive you as his Savior. And Lord, I, we rejoice in that. Then we rejoice in that now. Lord, that thrills my heart. They bring their children here this morning to dedicate them to you. I hope as a church we never get tired of seeing that. that, To me, that's as special as a baptism. This family is saying we are going to walk with the Lord and we're going to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I'm thankful for that. thrills my heart. We'll have a baptism in a little bit. What a, what a beautiful thing to see a baptism. It's just that outward testimony of the inward decision. Father, that thrills my heart. And this morning as we open up your word and the fact that we have the word of God in our heart language and we can open it up and we can learn from it, Lord, that thrills my heart. So we thank you for this time as we open up your word now. Father, I pray you give me clarity in my thoughts. Help me to just... To, Lord, not to get too, too, uh, too fast, too excited, just to clearly communicate, God, uh, what you have, you have revealed to me this week. It may be helpful to us as a church as we better understand this man of God, the Apostle Paul. So bless now, and we'll praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. All right, so we'll begin here in Acts chapter 9. 
First thing we're going to look at is Paul's obedience. Paul's obedience. When he, when he trusted Christ there on the Damascus Road, he was going up. You know, this, we were talking about last week. He had letters from the, from the, 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 the leaders of the, the, there in the synagogue. He had gone to get those letters. He's got permission now to go to, to Damascus. He was going to seek out Christians. He was going to persecute the church. He was going to put them in chains, drag them back to Jerusalem where they'd be tried, probably thrown in prison. If they were thrown in prison, more than likely, that was going to be to death. It wasn't they were going to get out of that. So, so it was really, it was a death sentence. He was on a death journey. And, and then we see God, how he had heard the gospel before. He runs into God just reveals himself. Jesus just blinds him there on the road. And we see his salvation experience right there, his conversion, him coming to faith in Christ. And then from that point on, we pick up right here in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, and we see Paul's obedience that it was instant. It wasn't like he had to go through a season of, well, you know, I just don't know much, so I have to grow. No, his obedience was instant. Verse 6 says here in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 6, he says, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city. That's the first thing he asked the Lord after his, his coming to faith and acknowledging who Jesus was. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Arise and go into the city. And you will be told what you must do. Verse 8. You jump down to verse 8. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but, he, but, led by, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now he goes to Damascus. His obedience is instant. He gets up. He follows. He does exactly what the Lord... Remember, he can't see. He's blind. Fear would have easily made us maybe... maybe what would we want to do? We want to go home. I want to get back to Jerusalem. He didn't do that. He did exactly what God said. And then as you go through Acts 22, we, we jump back to Acts 22. If you want to turn over there, you can hang where you're at. I'm going to read a little bit right here, and then we'll come back to, to chapter 9. But in Acts 22 and verse 12, then, then the Lord sends a man named Ananias. And Ananias was, he's a small guy in scripture because we don't know much else about Ananias, but he was a faithful brother. God called him and told him, said, look, I want you to go. There's a man named Paul and he's there in Damascus. He told him where to go and I want you to take a message to him. And Ananias knew who Paul was. And can you imagine how Ananias must have felt? Ananias going, no, 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 Lord. Uh, that guy kills people like me. So I don't want any part of that. But it, the Lord tells him to go and Ananias Man, a little guy, great faith. He got up and he did what God said to do. Man, this is real faith, folks. When God says do something, believers do it. And Ananias just got up and he went. And he had a message from the Lord. And he comes to Paul there in Acts 22, verse 13. He says, uh, it's, Paul's testifying to this. And he says, recalling, he says, he came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Well, God's already told him right here three days into this. Now he's hearing God has a call on his life, a special call on his life. And he's going to send him out to be a witness for him. Verse 16, and now uh, why are you waiting? Ananias says, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Um, we're going to see that with Paul, when God said it, he did it. He was immediately and fully obedient to the Lord's will and his guidance. That, that was what Paul did. Folks, that's what we as Christians ought to do. When God says it, we ought to do it. Not only was his, his obedience instant, but Paul's change was immediate. 
It wasn't like he, he came to know Christ and it took a season of time again for people to see a change in him or to wonder, well, you know, I, I, you know, I know so-and-so got saved, but man, you know, I haven't seen any difference in him. He's still doing all the same old thing. That wasn't the case with Paul. In, in chapter 9, verse 20, jump down to verse 20 and look what happens. It says, immediately he preached. He preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Instantly, Paul was changed. And immediately, immediately he begins to preach the gospel. Now, I'm going to tell you what that word preached means, okay? So we get this idea that this is, this is what preaching is. Some of you may go, no, 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 Con, Pastor Conrad, that's, you're, that, that's not what this is, what you're doing. That's not preaching. Um, but, you, but you all have an idea of a preacher, what a preacher does. But look what the word means. The word preached here in that, that word right there, what it means is this. It means to herald as a public crier, okay? Especially divine truth, speaking the gospel. Preacher or, pre, uh, uh, or proclaimer or a publisher, someone who proclaims it. So folks, we don't, you, you know, when we get saved, when we're believers, we don't have to be a preacher, but we should be preaching. And that preaching is not that you have a pulpit that you fill on Sunday morning necessarily. You may not have a Sunday school class that you teach on Sunday mornings. You may not have a small group that you teach. But listen, you are to preach the truth that has been revealed to you. There should be a change. You should be preaching that truth. You should be proclaiming that Jesus is Lord to those that you come in contact with. Every one of us as believers should be, be doing that. He instantly went from seeking to destroy Christ followers to preaching this Christ. It was an immediate change. It was an amazing thing. So when we meet Christ, there is a change. Or, or, or we really haven't met Christ. Okay? I say this a lot. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if... Now here's the if. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, then here's the then. He is a new creation. There is no, if he is in Christ, he can continue as he was before. Does not exist. It is a lie of the pit of hell. I just have the little Jesus sprinkled in. I believe Jesus, but, you know, I still, you know, there's really been no change in my life. Nothing changed since I got saved. Folks, if you get saved, there is a change. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you are in Christ. If you are not in Christ then you're not a new creation. Old things are still hanging around. All things haven't become new. They're just as they always were. I've just sprinkled in a little Jesus. That's not how this works. So we may not all be preachers, but we can all preach Jesus. Amen? So Paul's conversion was obvious. Here's another thing. It was obvious. Verse 21 there, Acts 9, 21. Then all who heard were amazed. When they heard him, those who heard Paul, they were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on, the name in, on, his, on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? Folks, they saw the change. It was obvious. It was instant, but it was obvious. They could tell there was something different about Saul. 
But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Listen, he already knew the scriptures. He may have been as well taught in the scriptures as anybody, but he didn't know Jesus. And he got saved, and all of a sudden now Paul is beginning. He sees Jesus all through the scriptures now, and he instantly begins to preach this Jesus to them, showing them by the scriptures, Jesus all through the scriptures, that he is the Messiah. It, uh, um, <clears throat> it was obvious, the change in his life. It was obvious. And so the question, is it obvious to others that there's something different about you? If, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? Because there ought to be. As believers, it ought to be obvious. Then we see Paul's preparation. So we see this conversion. I mean, all this was immediate, and then it was obvious, the change in his life. But we see Paul's preparation. And I'm going I'm to turn to Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses here in Galatians 1, and listen to what he says. Verse 15 and 16, uh, verse 15 through 18, he says this. He says, But when it pleased God, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Paul says, he didn't go, you know, I didn't go, I didn't instantly run off to seminary. I didn't, I didn't instantly go back to the disciples. He said, here's what I did. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. Now, if you're wondering where Arabia is, that's modern day Turkey. So he would have gone from where he was up near Damascus. He would have just continued on north. Maybe, maybe he would have turned a little bit further going west. Maybe he just went north. But it's in what is today modern day Turkey was Arabia. And he returned, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to get ahead right there, but verse 18 then says, then after, then after three years. So we know what he did is he went to Arabia for three years. He spent that time and the Lord taught him. We know this. And commentators suggest that he spent three years learning from the Lord because the other 12 disciples had spent three years learning from the Lord. That, that was, that's, that's conjecture, okay? So that's, there's nothing in Scripture that tells us that for sure, but it sure makes a lot of sense that he went and he learned from the Lord. He didn't learn from somebody else. Paul learned from the Lord. The Holy Spirit of God taught him in those three years that he was in Arabia. And we too must prepare today for what the Lord would have us do tomorrow. Paul was preparing. Paul didn't know what God was going to do with him other than he knew he was going to go and proclaim and preach. He was going to have to be a witness for the Lord. He didn't have any idea what that meant or what that looked like at that time. But he's preparing. He's learning from the Lord. And, and I believe with all my heart he was up there serving he would have been teaching and serving others. He would have been doing something. He was serving. But in those three years, he was learning. Folks, we need to always be preparing. We need to be learning. We're to continually grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? We need to be lifelong learners. I'm always amazed. I'll hear stories sometimes of an 80-year-old that graduates college. And people would say, well, why in the world? I'm like, man, praise God. That's fantastic. Why not? Learn. You, you know, so, uh, Melinda's been doing seminary work. You're not 80, but praise God. Sharpening that axe. Amen? So would you rather use a sharp axe or a dull axe? We're going to go chop some trees. What would you rather use, a sharp axe or a dull axe? Huh? You want a sharp? I want a sharp axe. I mean, I've worked, have you ever worked with a dull chainsaw? See, some of us are dull chainsaws. 
Oh me or oh my, oh my or amen or what there. Some of us are dull chainsaws. We need to be sharpened a little bit. We need to learn. We need to grow. Because, listen, God can use a sharp axe just like he can use a dull axe. But, man, a sharp axe is a whole lot more effective. Be learning. Be growing. Because as we learn, as we grow, as we continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you know what? There's something that he's going to do with us later on. Where you are right now is not where you're always going to be. Plan. Prepare. Paul, Paul was a brilliant man. And he went off for three years to prepare. Then we see his early ministry, and we look at verse 23 there in chapter 9. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews... Now, here's what happened. So he comes back to Damascus, all right? So if you went back to verse 17 in Galatians, he tells us there that he went to Arabia for three years, and then he returned again to Damascus. So we know he comes back. So in Acts chapter 9, verse 23, we see, So now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So Paul comes back after three years of training... Three years of preparation, he comes back, he's there in the synagogues, there in Damascus, and he's preaching the word. He's going in there and he's contending with them the gospel. And the Jews plotted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night. Now, y'all have all heard this story from, the, from, from uh, Sunday school. All of you have heard this story of where they let Paul down in a basket. Put him down over the wall in a basket. And this is where this happens. Acts chapter 9 verse 25. So then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And so Paul goes then from there, he goes up to Jerusalem. I've told you that you, when you go to Jerusalem, you're always going up to Jerusalem. He's going south from, from, from uh, 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 I just went blank, but he, uh, I'll get it in a minute. Clutches. Well, yes, thank you. Damascus. He's in Damascus, and he's coming south, but he's going up to Jerusalem. You're always going up to Jerusalem. Verse 26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Now imagine that. He's been th- he got saved three years. He's been off training. He's up there preaching in Damascus, and he comes down to Jerusalem, and the disciples don't even want to see him because they're scared of him. And they did not believe that he was a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas. Now Barnabas, listen to what this man, his name means. Barnabas means man of encouragement. And Barnabas was, and we'll see him, we'll hear his name again. But Barnabas was an encourager. He was, he was, a, he was a great guy, but Barnabas took him, he took Saul and brought him to the, the, the apostles and declared to, de- declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Now I'll say this about Barnabas. Number one, I'd love to have a lot of Barnabases in my life. But here's the more practical thing. Each of us needs to be a Barnabas. Here's what, while I want a Barnabas in my life, and I have some Barnabases in my life, I have guys that lift me up, guys that encourage me, guys give me, give me, give me some, put some wind under my sails when I need it. Um, we all want that. But, folks, we all need to be a Barnabas. He was an encourager. He was a networker. He was a facilitator. Barnabas just, he was, gonna, he was there to help. However, and he was a great friend to Paul. And we'll see this again, but he was a man of encouragement. Now, Barnabas was no Paul. We don't read the, story, the books that he wrote. We don't see the letters that he wrote. We don't hear about all the churches he planted, though I know he planted churches. I know Barnabas did a lot of great ministry. But I'll say this, Barnabas was no Paul, amen? But without Barnabas, Paul may not have been Paul. You get that? 
Barnabas encouraged Paul. He invested in Paul. He, he facilitated for Paul. He broke down walls for Paul. He was, a, he was a great, great help to Paul early in the ministry. We all ought to be a Barnabas for others in our life. God can use you to help train up the next great evangelist or preacher or missionary. Be a Barnabas. Then we come to verse 28. So, so he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, and they attempted to kill him. Now those were, the, the, those were Jew, uh, uh, Greek-speaking Jews, these Hellenists, and, and they attempted to kill him. Now he, he, he went off three years and got trained. He comes back and he starts preaching. First thing they try to do is kill him. He comes down to Jerusalem and he starts preaching. What, what do they want to do? Now the Jews in Jerusalem want to kill him. Everybody's plotting already. Paul's thinking, boy, this ministry, this is really wonderful. This is, that, this is, this is the best. I love this. So they attempt to kill him. And so verse 30, then the brethren found out. They brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him out to, to uh, Tarsus. Now Paul was, Paul was from Tarsus, okay? That's where he was from. They send him to Tarsus and he goes up and now Paul is going to have a season. And, and we don't see, we don't, we're not going to hear much from Paul. Uh, I've seen anywhere from four to eight years. Some speculation was about a four-year period. Other, it's up to eight years. But there's a period where Paul is up there in Tarsus. Now he's also in that area of Cilicia and Pamphylia. And it's really the, if you went up from Israel and you get to Turkey, it would be right where in the turn, it would be right in there is where, in fact, give me the first slide. Or the second slide. All right, you see over here to the right, you see Cilicia? To the right is Tarsus. In that purple Cilicia, uh, I need a pointer. So right up in here is Tarsus. This is where he's from. And all this area, Paul was all up in that area and he was ministering that area this whole time. So anywhere from four to eight years, Paul is in Tarsus. He is ministering, probably, probably making disciples there, might even be planting churches. We, we, we don't know. We don't, we don't have record of that. But I have every reason to believe he may have planted some churches right there. He may have had body, local churches meeting in his home or whatever. But Paul, he goes up there to Tarsus. And so these are years of obscure faithful ministry. These four years, uh, four to eight years, he was up there. He was saved. He prepared. He grew spiritually and he served faithfully where God put him. That's where God put him. Now, Paul could have said, well, this is beneath me. You know, I've been here before. I'm not going to, I'm not spending any more time in preparation. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I can do greater things. He didn't do that. Paul was faithful to where God put him. Um, our service may be obscure, but keep at it. Serve where God has put you. Serve and be faithful in that. So Paul is now, he goes to Tarsus. It's beginning a period of these four to eight years. And the gospel now is beginning to spread from Jerusalem. And all this was a result of, of, of the persecution that was there, the stoning of Stephen and all of that. And now, and now people are, are, are being dispersed. Believers are dispersing. And so all this is going on while Paul is ministering. Then we see in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, if you want to turn there. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to, to no one but the Jews only. 
And so these men come, there were other men that came from Cyprus and Cyrene, and, and they come to Antioch and they speak with those Hellenists, those, those, those Greek-speaking Jews, and they're preaching the Lord Jesus. In verse 21, we see that a great number believed and turned to the Lord right there in Antioch. There's a bunch of people now that have, there's a move of God happening in Antioch. In verse 21, or 22, then the news came down to Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. So he is going north out of Jerusalem. And you can leave that up there. You can leave that, that uh, map up there. We, we're going to reference that again. Um, but he goes north out of Jerusalem. or, or they come. So Barnabas comes out of Jerusalem. He comes up to Antioch, up there in the, 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 the western side of Syria, kind of close to the, the, the Mediterranean there. But there's a move of God that's happening. And Barnabas goes up to check it out. He sees what's happening. A lot of people have gotten saved. And this is what Barnabas does. Verse 25, then Barnabas departed from Tarsus or for Tarsus to seek after Saul. Now this tells me he, he must have stayed in contact with Saul. He must have known what was going on. There must have, may have been letters between the two. You can imagine the way Barnabas had taken him under his wing. There was a relationship there's a mentoring maybe going on. He is pouring into to Saul. And, 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 and so now he goes to Tarsus. So he shoots over from Antioch. He just goes over to Tarsus. He finds Saul and he brings him back at verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch so that it was for, for a whole year. So now at this point, there's a whole year they're assembled with the church at Antioch and taught a great many people. And the disciples, you've heard this, the disciples were first called Christians there in Antioch. You've probably wondered. You've read that. Where is Antioch? Well, now you know. It's up there. It's, it's up north of Damascus, almost into what is modern-day Turkey. In fact, Antioch, I believe, is part of modern-day Turkey. I believe it shoots down enough and comes in right there. That that's a part. I think that's right. So, so this is going on. Paul is there. He's ministering. He's been a year. And the next great event that happens is uh, there's, there's some prophets that come up in, in verse 27. There's some prophets that come up out of Jerusalem. They come up to Antioch. And there's one in particular named Agabus. And Agabus prophesies that there's, a great, there's going to be this great famine. A great, I think it's a three-year famine. And he, he prophesies of that in verse 29. And the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Now, what we see here may not be the first time it ever happened, but what, what, what we would relate that to today is that's a love offering. These guys took up a love offering. They said, they said, you know, there's this famine. We want to be a blessing. Now, the church had sent people out. The church in Jerusalem had sent people out. Now, a church has been planted in Antioch. They're a sister church. They're, they're, they're a church birth, really, out of the ministry of Jerusalem. And now they say, we want to be a blessing to those brothers back there. We want to send. And so the, 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 those brothers, the disciples there at Antioch, they took up this love offering. So there is now this special ministry that they want to do out of the church in Antioch, and they want to send it to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so there's this special ministry assignment. In verse 30 we see, this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas, here's what happens folks, when you serve, when you're faithful, when you learn and you grow and you do the things God's told you to do, you can expect more to happen. You can expect God's going God's to begin to identify and say, oh, all right, you're faithful, you're going to be faithful, I need you to do more. It doesn't happen to somebody that's sitting in the pew and never does a thing. All of a sudden, they're, they're called to go to the foreign field. Nope. They're, not, they're not called to do some great ministry. You know, the, 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 the 5,000-member church that the pastor retires, they're looking for a new pastor. Hey, they're going to come call you because you've been sitting in the pew for 30 years, not doing anything. 
That's not generally how that works. As we're faithful, as we serve the Lord, the, the, the people see what God's doing in their life. And it was easy to see in Paul's life and in, and in Barnabas's life the calling that was on their life and, the, and, and their faithfulness. So they were sent. And it was them. They, put the, they, they took the offering. They gave the grains, the foods, whatever it is, high, whatever relief they want to send. And they sent Paul and Barnabas to go, to go down to Jerusalem and minister this. And then... They, they do that in Acts 12, if you flip, now we flip over to Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul return from Jerusalem. They go and they do the ministry there. And they, they, they minister to the church in Jerusalem. And now they come back and they bring with them John Mark. John Mark, John whose surname was Mark. John Mark is Barnabas' nephew, okay? And they're gonna, he's going to bring John Mark back with them to Antioch. And we're fixing to fast forward here in a second, okay? So we get to verse 13, or Acts church, uh, 13, verse one. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manaean, who, who, uh, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit of God again leads. The Holy Spirit of God tells them, spoke to their hearts as they were praying, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The leaders here in the church, these men of God, as they were praying and fasting and seeking the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to their hearts and said, separate to me, Barnabas and Saul. So God called Barnabas and Saul. It was God's calling on their life. Folks, if God calls you, you'll know it. When he calls you, he calls you to take a step further, you'll know it. Because you'll begin to feel something. Um, uh, ben, the questions you're already asking, I don't have any doubts God's calling you, young man. I don't know what he's calling you to. I don't have any doubts. Because you don't ask those questions when God ain't working in your life. Patrick Duncan, God's calling you. Somebody else is sitting here right now going, don't call my name, don't call my name. <laughs> when you start asking those questions that these young men ask, and Patrick, not such a young man anymore, but you're still a young man. When they start asking these questions, God's doing something in their heart. And you know what happens when you're faithful and you prepare and you serve where God's planted you and you just continue to grow? You know what? Then, then that, that gets confirmed in others. Others see it. God reveals it to them what, what is being done in your life. So God called Barnabas and Saul right here. And verse 3, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And the church ordained them. Now what does that mean? The church simply recognized what God was doing in their life. It wasn't the church that called Barnabas and Saul. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. God called them. The Holy Spirit showed them, told them. And now they recognize that. And after this time of fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. And this is then when Paul's ministry begins. Oh, my. It is 1030 in Alabama. All right, I'm going I'm to really fast forward here uh, because I want, you to, I want you to get this. I want to get an idea now as we're talking about 1 Corinthians where you'll have an idea of this. But this is where it begins. They're sending Paul and Barnabas out. They're sending them out. And so they, 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 they began this first missionary journey. And so you have the slide there. So they're, they're gonna, they, 
they're going to leave out of Damascus. So they leave Damascus. They went, up, they went back from Jerusalem after this ministry that had been done. They, they go out of Jerusalem, back to Damascus. They go up to Antioch, the ministry there. That's where God calls them. They ordain them. They send them out. So Paul and Barnabas begin this journey here. Uh, let's go back to that first one. This is the second one. Go back to the first. There it is. So they begin here. So they started there in Antioch. After they had done that special ministry, they come up. They're in Antioch. God calls them. And they get on a boat. And you see they're going to go over to Cyprus. They do some ministry there. They go up through uh, there in Pamphylia. They hit at Perga. And, and when they get there... Um, this is where uh, um, John Mark is going to turn around and leave. So when they, and, and that's important to understand because there's some splits that happen later on. But here in this first missionary journey, when they make landfall there at Perga, Paul, John Mark turns back. Now, again, he's a nephew. There's a lot of speculation about what went on with John Mark. Did John Mark just chicken out? Did he not want to do the ministry? Did he have sick family back home? Whatever it was, there was some, there, we obviously know there was some contention about that because John Mark leaves, and we don't see a whole lot right there, but we're going to see it later on and we'll understand later on. But John Mark leaves. He goes back. He goes back home. So we understand he goes back to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas continue their ministry journey, and you could we could spend time talking about the different things that happened. But at one place, Paul heals somebody. They then another place they recognize them like they're gods, and then they turn around and they want to stone them. And always it's the Jews who come against them and fight against them and turn people against them and, and want to have them killed. So that you see, they go out. It's a smaller trip. And they basically go out so far out to Derby, and then they turn around and they go back. They just kind of backtrack the same way. They spend a year and a half on that first missionary journey, okay? When they get back, then they go to Jerusalem. Some of you have heard about the Jerusalem Council. They go down there, Paul, this is where Paul argues that Gentile Christians don't need to, be, uh, don't need to follow Jewish law. Basically, they don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. That's the argument Paul makes there in Jerusalem. He, he makes a valid argument. They send him out and they say, you're right, we agree with that. They send back. He and, he and Barnabas now go back to Antioch. They make their way up and they go to the second journey now. So this is the beginning of the, 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 there's the first missionary journey. Now we go to the second missionary journey. Second missionary journey. So they go back from Jerusalem now. They go up to Damascus. They go to Antioch. And this time they're going to start out and they go up through Turkey. They go up through Tarsus. They go up through Derby, uh, Lystra, Iconium. So those are places they hit on their first journey, but they're heading out. Now, now it, it, we'll note this as they get ready to start on the second missionary journey. This is where Paul and Barnabas are going to divide. And this is how we know there was a problem with John Mark leaving because now they divide over that because Barnabas wants John Mark to go with him. And Paul says, look, he went with us and he quit. So I don't know what the story was. We don't really, there's thoughts on different ways. Was Paul too strong right here? Was he? But again, Barnabas was an encourager. I'm going to say this, regardless of what went on, what we find out is they divide. There's a strong contention by two men that love God. There was contention and a divide. Barnabas takes John Mark, and we know from history, and we know what happens later on, we find Paul years later going, bring John Mark. He's profitable to me. We, we know there's a reconciliation. Maybe Paul was wrong in the way he handled that, and he's acknowledging that later on. But, but Barnabas and Paul split. He takes, Barnabas takes John Mark. Paul, Paul takes Silas, and they begin this journey. And they go through Asia Minor here. They want to go. He wants to go south. He'd like to go north. And, and God continues just to push him north up there in that, in that area of Mycenae. 
and he comes to Troas. And if you know your scriptures, in Troas there, he receives the Macedonian call. Paul has a vision of a man over Macedonia calling him to come and to preach the gospel. So that's where they go. And they go across the waters. They go over there to in the Macedonia area, top left, Neapolis, Philippi. We know what happens in Philippi. He wins Lydia. He goes to finds these women worshiping. He wins Lydia to the Lord. He casts out the demon out of the girl, and 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 she and we assume she gets saved. But it affects financially again the Jews. They have this first big uproar, and they want to they want to kill uh, Paul and Silas. So what happens? They take them out and they beat them in the streets, and then throw them in prison. And here's Paul, and this is where they're singing in the prison. And they're praising God in prison. God miraculously releases them. And the Philippian jailer gets saved right there. And that, that happens there in Philippi. And then they, they travel on from there and they go to Berea. And Berea was amazing because not only they teach them the scriptures, they searched the scriptures. The Berean Christians, the Bereans there, they searched the scriptures. And he makes his way south. They come through Athens. Paul preaches, preaches there at the Agropolis. And then he makes his way to Corinth. And when he comes to Corinth, just to highlight this real quick. So as he comes to Corinth, he, he, he's going to spend a year and a half right there in Corinth. And there's some things that happen. So he's preaching. They refuse him. They oppose him. They blaspheme him. The, 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 uh, the, the Jews there did. Paul basically shakes his garments off and said, I'm done with you. I'm taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and he goes and he meets a guy named Justice. He houses with him. And then Crispus, who's the leader of the synagogue there, becomes a believer. And we, 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 we see it there in verse 8 of, of, Acts, chapter, of Acts 18. And he, and, he, and he says this in, in verse 8, that this leader of the synagogue comes to faith in Christ. And he stays, and then so what goes on, he stays there for a year and a half, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, he's, he's building a church right there, and then there's this other uproar, and the, there's a new, a new proconsul comes in, and the Jews rise up again, and they want to take Paul before this proconsul, and they want to have him judged. And he says, I'll have nothing to do with it. The proconsul does. Basically, Paul's exonerated. And the Greeks grab the leader of the synagogue named Sosthenes, and they beat him. And the, and, the, and the proconsul who's there doesn't take any note of it, doesn't do anything about it. It's what it says in the scriptures there. But this is where we see the name Sosthenes. Anybody remember where we saw that name before? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is introducing there. He says, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother. Now we don't know. There is nothing that tells us definitively in scripture that these are the same men. I just find it hard to believe that these aren't the same men. I believe that Sosthenes, who was the leader of the synagogue, may have even been, been opposing Paul right there. This event happens. Later on, Paul is writing a letter back to the Corinthians with Sosthenes, our brother. He's come to faith in Christ. I believe that. So a few things that we find out about 1 Corinthians or about the Corinthians there when he was there on the second missionary journey. It's where he met Aquila and Priscilla. We find out that he was a tent maker. Paul was a tent maker because they have the same vocation. We find out that he preached every Sabbath in the synagogue. Then that's where he met Sosthenes, who, who is the ruler of the synagogue, and he's later his brother in Christ. And again, he spent a year and a half there. He leaves there. He comes back to Jerusalem. Fast forward to the third slide, the third um, journey. Third missionary journey, it looks like it's, he does a whole lot more traveling. He does kind of the same path. He goes through. Interesting thing for those on Wednesday nights, Paul only went to Ephesus. When we talk about the seven churches, 
of Revelation. The only church Paul ever visited on his missionary journeys was there at Ephesus that we know of. None of the churches that are mentioned, uh, Philadelphia, Sardis, Thyatira, none of those. We don't have any record of him actually going to those churches. But he spent time in Ephesus. In fact, about three years on this third missionary journey, about three years of the four, maybe four and a half years that he spent on that journey was in Ephesus. And it was from Ephesus now, maybe a year to anywhere from one to three years later, he wrote the letter to Corinthians, to the Corinthian believers. And that's what happens in this third missionary journey here. So he, he's in Ephesus, he's writing. There's, in fact, Timothy has gone to, to Corinth. There's, we, we understand there was a letter that was written with some problems. We don't have that letter that was written to Paul. He responds with a letter. They, they send people out. Paul's actually going to go back and visit there again. But we find now the letters that we have in 1 Corinthians. There are problems in the church. And they're spelling them out. And, and he's addressing, when he writes 1 Corinthians, he's addressing these problems that were obviously revealed to him through, through, through Timothy, but also through the letter that he received from them. And so that's why Paul in Ephesus is writing this letter to Corinthians, and it sets the stage for where we're going as we go through this book. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up real quick right here. Um, so from that, Paul goes back to Jerusalem. He's arrested. He's imprisoned at Caesarea. He appears before Festus. He appeals to Caesar. He's then taken... Show this last slide. So this is where he does all this journey as he leaves, as they take him from, from Jerusalem and, and then Caesarea and all that, and they put him on a boat, and the journey he makes going to Rome as he appealed to Rome, and he wants to go there before Caesar, and it's a long journey, and we read all of that. Then he's under house arrest there, and ultimately he is killed there in Rome. He is martyred there in Rome. So we see all that, but I want to read real quick what Paul went through in his journeys. 2 Corinthians, he's writing there in chapter 11, verse 22, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. One night... And a, a day and a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Now what's amazing in this is that Paul understood that God was in control of all of this and thus he never complained. You never hear Paul complain. He rehearsed what he had been through. He would tell people what he went through, but he didn't complain about it. He didn't say, why, why God? Why did you let this happen? Paul pressed on. He, it, it wasn't his own comfort that he was concerned with. It was with others' conversion that drove him. He was willing to suffer whatever came for the sake of obedience to God's call and his command, the great commandment, to go and take the gospel to all the world. That was, that was Paul's call. That was Paul's heart. That was Paul's desire. And it was no different from Paul, folks, than it is for us. Five takeaways I'm going to give you this morning. Number one, with true salvation, there is immediate change and obedience. So do what God says do. Number two, serve where you are. 
follow where he leads and stay there till he moves you. Okay? Number three, share Christ at all costs. Number four, the Great Commission is not a suggestion but a command to be followed. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are to go and make disciples. And then the last one is this. And I was talking with my friend Rusty. Rich Rusty, I don't like you moving over here because I moved over here to get away from you. And now you're behind me again. So <laughs> be out there. Rusty told me this the other day we were talking. And he, he said he, he's challenged and inspired by, by Paul. Because the fact is, our, our, our model, who we are to be like is Christ. But on this side of glory, I'm never going to be like Christ. Amen? But Rusty said this. He said, you know what? I can't be like Christ, but I can be like Paul. I can be like Paul. Paul's a realistic goal of somebody to be like. And, and the fact is, I'm a lot like him in, in ways, you know, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. I, I struggle with those things. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, we're going to see it twice in chapter 4 and chapter 11. Chapter 4, he says, therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul followed Christ. Paul imitated Christ. We can look to Paul. Paul's a great example. I'm going to look to Paul. I want to be like Paul, but I want to be like Christ. I'm going to look to Paul maybe as a starting point. If I can ever reach that, that bar, then I'll raise the bar higher. And, but my ultimate goal, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be my, my Lord and Savior. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I know we've gone a little long this morning. I ask you to be patient. Don't look at the clock. Let me look at the clock. Come on, Pastor Aaron.